1: of the world, Steve Fingerstyles!
0: So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into comic books, if you're literally into anything that's collectible, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds. So to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper once they ship down to you. And don't worry, international, they ship worldwide, so no need not to visit them. So please visit them every day, like I said. They update daily everything from comic books to signed sports memorabilia, signed wrestling memorabilia, I'm sure they have some video game stuff tucked in there too, so I I, I wouldn't doubt it. So please visit firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, Shadow of the Colossus, Super Mario Brothers 3, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is... In paperback or ebook format, so no need, no excuse. You could purchase either or, or purchase both if you want to support the cause. So please visit bossfightbooks.com, and if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com. Or scroll down on today's device; it's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link; it takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs to regular mugs. Anything you need or want, it is there. But the most important thing, the easiest thing, the freest thing you could do is to rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest has worked on over 100 games for pretty much every console ever made to mankind. He is the current studio head of Digital Eclipse Other Ocean, Mike, Micah. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going, What's sir? Thank you, thank you very much again. I pride on that. It's been said before. I'm gonna pat myself on the back, and people could go check out old episodes. Everyone loves the intro. I it's it's not like I'm doing it overboard. It's literally what my guests have accomplished. So it's more of a tip of a hat to you guys, not to me.
2: Oh, well, this is great. I've been looking forward to this uh, all week, so I'm I'm excited to get going
0: okay, so now oh now the pressure's on. Uh oh now I can't screw up. Yeah. But it's like hurry it up. Come on, come on, what's button? Just kidding. <laughs> so okay, right off the bat, what got you into video games? What was the first game you touched? What was the first sight? Like what was your earliest memory? How about that?
2: Well, I was I'm a child of the early seventies, so I was born at the exact right time when video games were just coming out. So yep. the first game I remember seeing, there's a, there's a couple of first okay. I remember seeing publicly, like an arcade game, uh, was space invaders. I remember seeing space invaders at a drive-in movie theater sure. and I had seen things kind of like it, but like it was mechanical games and all that kind of stuff, but see something that was like on a TV right. and the crowd, one thing when I was walking in, I was just anticipating going in and getting some popcorn with my dad and there's this big crowd there, and they weren't by the concession stand, so we knew something was up. So we went over to see what was kind of going on. Sure. And it was just a huge crowd around this Space Invaders machine. It was midway who brought it over from Japan. I remember the side art with these like gigantic, menacing demon guys on the side. Wow. And it was just amazing. <laughs> I don't even remember what movie we went to go see, but I remember Space Invaders. And so that was just burned in my head, because there's no way I was going to be able to play it as much as I wanted to, because there was just too many people there. Right. Uh, and then the next thing I remember getting uh, at home, it was probably just within that same year, we got uh, a, cl- a, a Pong clone, uh, like a, okay. Pong, a Pong ripoff sure. that we hooked up to our TV. And I remember it was the Rally 4. I think it was like a Radio Shack brand. And um, for a while, it was great because my dad and I would play. And they, had like, they would say they had like 50 variations of games on it or whatever. It would be like squash, tennis, mm-hmm. hockey. But it was all pretty much the same thing, right. but just like a few little changes. And I would play with my dad a lot, but he got bored really quick. So I ended up mm-hmm. just learning how to, like, play that with myself. Like, one hand on
0: one paddle, one hand on the oh, other. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, good, like, that kind of stuff. And uh, it was
2: that, that was that was as far as I could push that. And then eventually, I think it was that following Christmas, oh, wow. uh, because my dad was mesmerized by video games as much as I was, oh, awesome. uh, we got the Atari 2600. And oh. I didn't know what that was at all. I didn't ask for it and anything like that. And I remember opening this thing up, and the first thing I noticed on the front of the box was a version of Space Invaders. And we also got Shit. Space Invaders as well. So it was there like, oh that game that I kept like dreaming about drawing pictures <laughs> of everything <laughs> for that movie right. drive in, like now we had it at home. And so that was kind of my big intro to games and it's just been I, it's been a powder keg of excitement For video games ever since
0: That's awesome Okay Well I started off with With the Vision. I had older brothers So they ended up having Coleco So I, that's how I graduated Into video games But the thing is Me growing up Again I, I was a late 70s baby So sort of the same generation But mm-hmm. My parents were not into video games They thought it was the devil I had to go outside <laughs> I had to do all my chores Like you know what I mean So <laughs> I've had a guest on before Which is the same thing Like from our generation That their parents Enjoyed video games So what was it that Your dad enjoyed about video games At that age, that's that just blows my mind.
2: You know, I'm not sure because like he's he was always a kid at heart. Like he was into movies. Okay, he was into like Bigfoot, UFOs, like oh like like, (laughs) he was just always forever twelve. I think oh that's awesome. Okay. When I was growing up, it was almost like we're best friends in that regard. Like he he just like loved doing all the same kind of stuff. So when video games (laughs) came around, I think it really was a lot of his friends were really into him. He was into them. He thought they were like innovative and. He loved technology. He liked working on cars uh, and there stuff. You go. So okay. I think it was really that's where it came from.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. So, what are your, some of your favorite of all times? What's something that you like to revisit, or what's your favorite console? How about that? That's probably easier.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you think it would be easier? I, I'll start with my favorite game of all time, and all right. that's that's always changing in my head because it's really neck and neck between two same. arcade games: Galaga oh. and Robotron. Uh, those were games really? I played a lot of when I was a kid. Okay. And I was terrible at both. And eventually I got really good at Galaga and Robotron continued to kick my butt over <laughs> and over again. But like Galaga was one of those games that I remember uh, when I was in college, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit okay. and the student center had a Galaga machine. And it was the, the day of the big exam in one of my classes, it was a very important exam. My friend and I were in the same class. And before class, we were letting off a bit of steam. I started playing Gallagher. I started to have the game of my life. Okay. It just kept going and kept going. And, like, class was coming up. Right. And my friend, I, I'm like, what, what's our time? He's like, we have five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, should I just leave it? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, you should go to class. He's like, no. I'm st- sticking here to see how far you can go. <laughs> so we completely blew through our exam. We came with some lame excuse later that, like, we got head car trouble or whatever. Right. But, like, I remember playing and going, getting so far, and eventually I had to walk away from it because oh, the score wow. stopped. And like that, and I was like, sure. I finally hit my peak <laughs> on Galaga. But that's like that's probably my favorite game. Okay. Um, there's been experiences since, like console games are obviously much crazier now. Of and course, the experience is much more interesting. But um, the things that just burned into my brain, it's like Galaga's that that game and console. That is that's even harder to me because
0: oh, okay. I always
2: think about this. There's the console that obviously was the first, which is like Atari 2600, right. which really meant a lot to me. But then. I think I probably played the most Super Nintendo out of everything I've ever ever had since. So I think okay. Super Nintendo was my console.
0: See, I got Super Nintendo late because I was a Genesis guy first. And then I ended up yep. going over to Super Nintendo in its late cycle, right? So, But I still got all the great games because that's when I think the best games started coming out was the mid to late 90s, right? But I, I don't know. I have to go, like, in my mind, I, I, I have to take out the nostalgia factor because I've been suckered in so many times now where I'm like, I'm getting this because I used to love this game. I put it in. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I don't know why I like this game to begin with. It's all, like, nostalgia factor, right? So I have yep. to go with the most... Re- I go with, like, something like PS3 because that's something where you could yeah. still play and it's still to date and it holds up, right? Yep. And then, you
2: know, if I'm going by that criteria it's probably my xbox series x right now because i oh, have okay. such a big catalog that i've carried uh, over from the 360 the xbox one to here that's like i'm bringing the history of games that i've always loved with me every single time so as much as i want a ps5 and i've not been able to get one yet even as a developer i haven't been able to get my hands on a ps5 um outside of the dev kids um the series x is, is my device because the whole family uses it we watch movies on it we do everything so that's probably my favorite console i
0: go by that criteria oh there you go there you go so what got you into like making video games producing video games directing like you've worn so many hats i can't even the whole episode (laughs) would be just naming everything but what was like okay how about this what was your first job into video games and then what made you want to do it for the rest of your life
2: so i made my first job basically in video games because again like we were both growing up at a time where there was no video game university or video game yep. tracks in college or school. The, the only computer courses we had were like computer science where they would say, like, this is a printer. Yes. This is how printers work. Here's Bank Street Writer. You can you do word processing on it. Like, but I'm I'm an arcade rat
0: and I'm like, I want to make video games. And I sure. remember really, I have this
2: vivid memory of the day that they brought in the first computer at our elementary school okay um which was an apple II on a wooden cart with wheels and they rolled it in and our teacher was introducing the class to the home computer right and i was kind of like oh that's cool it's green what's up with that there's no color because i'm all like you know i want pac-man sure all stuff and uh, so she was rattling off the stuff you could do with it which was like yeah word processing it has a calculator it has also you know and then she was explaining like what people do with them and then at one point she said they use these to make video games and then my my brain just like Click. It, it kind of seized up and rebooted for a second. Because <laughs> it just kind of crashed. And then it was like, okay, she just said this makes video games. So my friend and I stayed in recess. We had, we had begged the teacher to stay in on recess to use it. And okay. we learned how to make primitive games on it. Like We wow. got books. My friend's brother had all these programming books that he was – uh, getting because they he was getting into programming, so okay. we made these really rudimentary games, and that was so addictive for me. Like I, I just loved making games. We make games to make our friends laugh. So when they come in from recess, we show them what we made. The teacher would ask us all these questions. We get to share them with class, and it was it was just awesome. I loved that
0: feedback loop. Right. So then, what made you want to keep doing it forever? Like, was that the hit? And did you ever think you would be able to make like a living out of it?
2: You know, like nobody knew that. Like I remember. At the time, what I wanted to do was make movies. So oh, I was like, okay. you know, Star Wars was my thing. I'm sure. like, I want to make movies. I want to do special effects. I want to do all this stuff. And I remember talking to we had, we would have people come to our schools to talk about like different careers. And I would always talk to my counselor and stuff like that when I was like in high school and stuff
0: Right, right.
2: and say like, I want to make movies. What do I have to do? And there's like, I don't know, like <laughs> no idea. But one thing I didn't know I could do and do pretty well was make games because I'd always kept making games. We got a Commodore 64 and I just kept making games on the side just for fun. And so I started to explore that. I, I started making my own games and selling them at, um, this computer store in michigan oh. and it was called soft house computer center and i would just like make my own packaging i print up the labels and just sell software there and oh. um we started i started to sell stuff and then yeah. we started running a bulletin board where we would sell software through that and uh i made a decent amount of my not crazy amount but for a kid like it was decent sure. money and i was like oh this this is telling me that i can make a living doing this this is pretty crazy wow. but i still was doing stuff on home computers i wanted to make console games because ah, okay that, that was my bag i, I love console games i had no clue how to do arcade games so i'm like okay. i can at least make video games that i like for console right uh, but i need to learn how to do that so it wasn't until i'd say night it was 94 that my friends and i all got together and we were like let's make a game company let's just form yeah. one and let's go to the consumer electronics show and the first company that's going to give us a or con- dev kit to work from—that's the con- that's console we're making stuff for. So okay. we went to everybody. I-, I even talked to Trip Hawkins. We we're just cold walking up to people just out of nowhere wow. and saying, "We want to make games for your your console." And I remember Trip Hawkins was super nice. Okay. He uh, he was talking to somebody else, and we interrupted him. I'm just like, "I want to make right. games for the 3DO. I want to do all this stuff." And yeah. he's like, "Well, go talk to these two guys over here," which was like Andy Gavin and Jason Rubin, who were doing like Way of the Warrior, which eventually they would go on to do Crash Bandicoot, but right? Like, they're giving me like feedback on stuff and I just couldn't find wow. out who would get me dev kits that way. So we jumped from there and we went to like Neo Geo. We went to all these different places and it was Atari right. Jaguar we went to. And they was like, Oh, you want to make games for the Jaguar? Come in. You know, they were oh, wow. very good okay. at the time. That's cool. They may have been desperate in hindsight, but at the time <laughs> I was like, Oh, they're so open. This is really cool. Like they, right. they want to listen to us. And I remember meeting this guy, Norm Kowalewski, I think it was his name. And okay. he was giving us all the tech demos on it, all this cool stuff. And I was just like, that, that was another moment where I'm like, this is real. Like They're saying they're mm. going to give us dev kits. Um, we got credit cards and maxed them out to buy <laughs> computer stuff and scanners. Sure. Everything we needed to make a game. Of course. And we started making games for the Jaguar. Unfortunately, that was also our big video game development lesson because mm. – Halfway through our first game, which was an Atari Jaguar version of Bomberman, okay. um, Atari went under.
0: Oh <laughs> So we're like, shit. oh no. <laughs> Bad we had done
2: all this stuff we figured out how to get the license. We did all these things, right? And we we're just making up as we we're going along, and then then Atari went under. But that was a big learning lesson because I learned how console games were made on the limitations of consoles, the process for it. Right. Um, I learned we can lose a lot of money if we make mistakes. (laughs) And so think a little bit more about how we do that. (laughs) And so it was really from there, I leapfrogged into doing game boy development because that was the easiest thing to get into for me. That wouldn't cost an arm and a leg. And uh, there were development documents that were leaked online, I think. So I, I learned how to make my own little development kit myself um with parts from like radio shack and this guy down in alabama who helped me out and i started making a version of uh yar's revenge for atari and that was like my that was my first real i'd say published not by me game which was atari's uh yar's revenge for the game boy
0: color oh wow yeah because i noticed going through the backlog of what you've been working on or worked on sorry You did a lot of Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games. Now, again, you said it was easier for you, whatever, but at that time, did you want to still do console or were you comfortable with just doing, like, portable for the rest of your life?
2: You know, the Game Boy was very exciting because not a lot of people, at that time, a lot of people wanted to work on it. They wanted to work on PlayStation and N64 and all stuff at the time. Right. And I had grown up programming for the Commodore 64 and like the Z 80 and the 6502 were very similar in many ways. So it's like, okay. it was very comfortable for me to code games on the game boy. Uh-huh. And I was still on this like honeymoon kind of a glow from like getting games published on cartridge. So it was really neat to see a cartridge sure. game at a Toys R Us <laughs> and kids. I, it, I was at a Toys R Us when I, I did Disney's Tarzan. I okay. was at a Toys R Us and there's a mom and her son buying it in front of me.
1: Wow. And my friend
2: that was with me is like, Hey, that, that game you're buying, like this guy made it. Right. <laughs> that was the first time I, I signed an autograph. <laughs> so it's like cool. I was in heaven. I thought it was right. the coolest thing ever. And also, there's another thing I learned about Game Boy games is mm. like publishers didn't care what you did. They were they wouldn't even pay attention. I know. So <laughs> we were kind of left to do whatever we wanted on Game Boy, and then basically when it's time to ship, they would look at it. They'd either freak out or be cool with it, sure. and then out the door it would go. So we did stuff that was just insane. Like we did a game called Little Nicky. And they're based right. off the movie.
0: Yeah. And there's mini games in there. One of the mini games is you have a pineapple gun and you're shooting
2: pineapple up, pineapples up Hitler's ass <laughs> while, he's in a, while he's in a French maid outfit trying to clean
0: Satan's like, lobby. Oh my and goodness. And then there's.
2: There's a game where you're like the dog, like he had a pet dog in the movie, and you're, you're shooting okay. arrows out of his penis <laughs> at like wow. things that are coming. It's We went nuts on it, and we, there's stuff that shouldn't even like, that wasn't even licensed. Like, we had Regis Philbin in it. We had all these, like, oh my God. celebrities that we never got approvals. We thought right. Ubisoft would get approvals. They didn't. And it just came out. Oh, wow. So we had all this stuff in there. Yeah. And so that kind of freedom <laughs> was amazing. We, we did, like, we'd also <coughs> did a game for Disney. We did a lot of Disney games, and one okay. of the games we did was for Lilo and Stitch. Oh, okay. And it was, we wanted to make a Metal Slug game so bad. So we're like, let's do Metal Slug with Lilo and Stitch. Like, let's just have as big a this shooter. Right. And, uh, you know, Disney, being a kids' company and all this stuff, they always didn't want anything violent in their games. Of they course. would always get mad at us about stuff. But this <laughs> one was really flying under the radar. So we just went for it and we made basically Metal Slug. And then it was Will Eisner at the time. He wanted to review all the Lilo and Stitch products. Okay. And so that was the first time the producers at Disney looked at the game. Oh. And they flipped out. They were like, we can't show this to Eisner. <laughs> he wanted to see the games, particularly. So I don't know what we're gonna say. Right. And we're just like, just show him. Like, I mean, what, what do we have to lose? Like, whatever. And so the next day, they did. They showed it to him, and they were like prepared to like quit and you know <laughs> and all this kind of wow. stuff. And uh, turned out he loved it. He thought it was great. In fact, he kind of everybody in the group. He was saying we should be doing more things like this. Right. <laughs> so he really liked the game. And afterwards, like. We ended up doing a lot, I mean, a, a whole bunch of Disney games because they, they were really trusting our instincts on, on those kind of games. So, yeah, Game Boy was fun because we had all those freedoms and we didn't have the restrictions that a lot of the console teams had.
0: Well, the thing is, too, with the Game Boy back then was you were taking some of the big console games and cramming it in. Now, uh, yep. what's easier, taking one of those and working on that or taking just an IP that's never been released on another console and just doing whatever you want? Oh,
2: they have their own... Pros and cons, but like one of the most comprehensive ports we'd ever done for Game Boy was, uh, or complicated, I'd say, complicated ports was Dragon's Lair. We took the Ooh. Dragon's Lair animated Laserdisc game right. and put it on Game Boy Color. You play the real Dragon's Lair animated game. Okay. And that was such a technical feat. It was very hard to do. And it really put us on the map. Like Nintendo took interest in us, um, a lot of companies took interest after that because we were developing technology on the Game Boy that was, like, pushing the limits of what it could do. So that, while it was very hard, it was very exciting to do. And then IPs, like, for instance, like, Little Nicky and all stuff, that was fun and really great to do, because, like, that, for me particularly, because I always wanted to make movies, so whenever we'd work on a movie game, we would end up going to the studio lot. We would get
1: access to the
2: screenplay. That's cool. Usually we got access to the teams. Like we were working with Adam Sandler and his team on little Nicky. So they were providing Uh, voice. They were giving design help on it. They were, um, they were basically producing the game with us and it was so fun. Like we went down to the lot, met them the first time and went over everything, really hit it off with those guys. And then for years later, we just kept in touch with all those guys and work on all kinds of stuff. And that was really cool. So, it, they all have benefits they all have pros and cons but ultimately when you're doing game boy it was all pretty fun uh because you got to stretch your uh, technical chops creative chops and then meet a lot of really interesting people
0: and now the other thing i noticed too from the backlog is you've taken a lot of and done remakes and remasters and re-releases whatever people want to call them nowadays right do you yep. enjoy doing those again versus what you were doing before or it does it really matter in your eyes
2: It doesn't really matter in my eyes what I'm really working on. I just want to do a great job at it. And a lot of these classic games, like I I have, um, because I grew up in, like we were talking about before, like in the 70s at the beginning of all this, in my head is just so much love and appreciation for the history of gaming. Mm. And there's been times, I remember I was actually in, when I was in college, I went to film school and I remember sitting in um a class one day and they're talking about how many films have been lost because film preservation wasn't a thing yet right and i was sitting there thinking about it and then it dawned on me that that same thing could happen to games because games that were on floppy disks games that were in media that that was dying off and this is the dawn of the cd era and everything and even cds are very limited Mm -hmm. um i started to have a little freak out of like this is (laughs) going to happen to video games so i started (laughs) to really go down that path of like what can i do to preserve video games and first thing first and foremost was I was hoarding video games <laughs> and then the next right. thing was meeting other people on Usenet and everything else that were also freaking out about it and eventually mm. that led to now I'm on like the board for the Big Game History Foundation I've uh I've consulted on like the Smithsonian Art of Video Games and all these things where I've even worked nice. with the Library of Congress on some things and that led to kind of my my passion for what we do at digital, the digital clip side of the company, which is uh, reissues, remasters and reimaginings of of classic games, because you mentioned something earlier that was really, I I say this a lot and it's, we want to not only preserve those old games, but we Mm. also want to give you the experience, the game that you have in your head right now from what you played, not the actual game you played. So a lot of our reimaginings are really taking a game that you may have played in the eighties or nineties, but making sure that the game you play today is the one you have in your head, not necessarily the mechanical limited mechanical version of that game that, that you played way back when. That
0: makes sense. Uh, so
2: something like Medieval, for instance, that okay. was on the PlayStation. Medieval yes. came out in the 90s. Uh, we recently remastered and reissued that game, reimagined that game mm-hmm. from the ground up in Unreal, making it feel more modern, the controls are more modern and everything. Like that. But it's right. the, the task that we have is to make sure that it feels and looks like what you think it's supposed to feel and look like. And that's oh. the big challenge for us. And we've gotten really good at doing that. So that's that's been our core business for a long time is shepherding ips into the future
0: well you've had a customer in me because like i said i'm a sucker for them because like the mega man series like the disney stuff that you guys put out too <laughs> yeah. that just bring because again that's what i was playing like, who didn't play Chippendales dale's rescue rangers on the nes you know what i mean like that's that's a staple yes, exactly. in everyone's video game childhood if you're from that era right so but it's true and credit to you guys for doing that it's like those games like for example especially on the switch i love it because you could take it portably so it's even better but it feels like when i felt like a child playing that game for like like you said you're taking away the limitations it doesn't feel that way like i'm playing the lion king and i'm like why couldn't i clear this as a child but now i could clear it as an adult like i got worse in video games not better like you know what i mean (laughs) so hats off to you guys quality of
2: life stuff like we do things like rewind for instance like allow you to rewind oh that does help too of course All that kind of stuff. So it's like, and then we have what we we kind of called it like the Netflix watch mode. So you can actually watch the game being played, jump in at any moment. So you can go to like the chapter where it's the, you know, just past the uh, stampede, because you may may not want to do the stampede. So skip past the stampede and start playing. So we put all that kind of stuff in there. So you can experience what you want to experience in the games. But then for first time players, they've got kind of a crutch they can kind of lean on because that's an old era of gameplay that nobody. Rightfully should be able to play
0: anymore. <laughs> it was just so hard back then. But you know, oddly enough, like someone like, for example, my wife, she's not an avid video game player. She loves, like, she says as soon as it went 3D, she got lost because she didn't know where to go what to do so she likes 2d stuff like she loves mario she loves donkey kong country like stuff like that right like the party games obviously too so for her she loves like the old school games because of that like you can't get lost it's linear it's perfect and i think it's a good introduction for people because to me even with sports games for example to get into a pure simulation sports game oh my god i can't my head explodes now it's not like when i was a child where all you need to do is like a simple season trades and that's it now you manage how much a Popcorn kernel costs in a stadium, like you know what I mean? It's <laughs> <Yeah>. too much. <laughs> Absolutely, it's too I was much. Excited
2: that we had eleven players in a football game. Like now, now <laughs> we have like yeah, you're managing basically. It's it's a sim. It's turned into a full on sim. You are right. managing every, every aspect of of a league and everything else. So that's all really great for people who are really into that. But like I long for and pine for the simpler times on a lot of games. So I'm really into arcadey style games. And ironically, a lot of those have moved to mobile. So you'll see a lot of very arcadey games on mobile. And I'm not the most avid mobile game player, but a lot of the concepts, like the easy-to-learn, hard-to-master stuff, is really encapsulated in mobile now. Because they right. know you only have so much time to play a game, so you can't do a sprawling, epic game on mobile. Right, right. And it, it has a lot of similarities to, to arcade games. But I, I love doing these sorts of things where we we bring classic arcade styles, the pillars of those old games, to modern new releases. So, for instance, like we just, just got done doing... Space Jam for LeBron James, Warner Brothers, and um, oh, Microsoft. Cool. And it's a we had a contest where we just asked like the public, like we pick two winners, go mm-hmm. crazy game ideas. We'll mash them <laughs> together. We'll pick two, mash them together. Okay. And we'll make that game. So right. we got basically like a beat 'em up. It's a brawler. It's it's like Streets of Rage with oh. like Space
0: Jam characters. Oh, that's gonna be awesome. So that's
2: gonna be coming out July 1st. And that was and we built it like a 90s brawler. So it's pixel.
0: Oh, it's perfect. Like,
2: all the mechanics of a 90s brawler with a bunch of modern twists to it just to make it feel better today
0: yeah no and that's what's on to rage right now like look what's happened with streets of rage like uh, uh teenage Mutant ninja turtles is coming back yep. like you know what i mean so no that's perfect i love those type of games that's, it's so true
2: that's a majority of the work we're doing right now is modern arcade style games
0: like that oh that's so cool. okay how about this question have you ever had to turn down a license or an ip
2: Yes, it's mainly because of um, resources. Right now, when the pandemic hit, this is a great example, um, we were doing good before the pandemic. Once the pandemic hit and video games became something that just exploded during the pandemic because people were sitting at home and everything, um, we turned down a lot of opportunities just because we don't have enough people to build everything. Um, All of them were great. There's some really good stuff that we really wanted to do, but we just had to turn it down. And we also turned down things that we feel... Are either too violent or give the wrong message or that sort of thing. Because we're we're older now, we all have families, and
0: we're,
2: <laughs> we're a little we're, our moral compass is a little stronger now. Sure. So we've been turning down things that were a little too like risque for us and everything like that we wanna we wanna create a positive world going forward and come up with like games that make people happy. So we're we're focused more on that stuff now.
0: How about an IP or license in a perfect world, no restrictions? Doesn't matter, license whatever. Would you want to work on?
2: I am weird. So okay. Jeez. I would go after, like, I, I have this dream of wanting to re, recreate in a modern console way, like in Unreal 5, 80s Flash Gordon, with music and everything <laughs> from Queen, all that sure. stuff. Because I was, I think that would be such a fun game to make, oh, wow. like, make it kind of like a single player, like uncharted level <laughs> take on 80s cheesy Flash Gordon
0: wow but again that music stands in my in my mind again another nostalgia scene is like nah, nah. like you know what i mean who doesn't know that
2: exactly exactly and like the visuals were amazing like they're cheesy now but like, of i don't have to do a modern interpretation of those visuals because the palette was amazing right it was just all over the place and i just love it and then if you take that lead then you i guess it's all queen related at the end of the day because like, <laughs> highlander it makes a lot of sense right highlander would be the best battle royale game if you think about it like there should oh. be a Highlander Battle Royale. Like, why Why don't we have that? That would be awesome right now.
0: There you go. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> How about the hardest game you've ever worked on? For whatever reason, either because limitations or time yep. constraints, whatever.
2: The hardest game I ever worked on was probably Alice in Wonderland for Game Boy Color because it was okay. for Nintendo first party. Um, there's a lot of political things going on between Disney and Nintendo. Mm. So there's a lot of attempts to... Get out of a deal they had with Disney because they didn't want to do any more of these games, and so there's a lot of undo, as, as a side effect. There was a lot of requests being made of us that kept changing things, and uh, we we're kind of like the the, the you know the, the child in the divorce. Um, a lot of <laughs> sure. issues coming up, but that game took longer than I was anticipating. I ended up being one of the last people just hang around on that game, making all the changes myself, art, Hard. audio, and everything, because Hard. we couldn't afford to keep the full team on it. Oof. But eventually it came out, it scored great, like it got nines and all that stuff, oh, and it was, I was really proud of it, but it just took forever. I, I was used to moving on to the next game and the next game. My development times back then were like five to eight months max, Okay, and I was so this one that. ended up being like, yeah. yeah, this ended up being like 16 to 18 months, and Ooh. it felt like an eternity to me at the time, because we made like a version of Klax, for instance, we made in like, I think it was like six to eight weeks, <laughs> and we had done that game, and we loved every minute of it, it was right. a crunch, but... We were just really proud of the stuff we could do and the speed which we can do it, and um, and that's one of my favorite games too. So it's just a it would be Alice in Wonderland. That was the toughest, and but the cool stuff that came out of that, like I have mm. notes, uh, I have fax um, copies from notes that were like from Miyamoto and his team in Japan. Oh, okay. They're reviewing the game, which is really cool, um, and stuff like that. So it was it was neat to work with Nintendo, and we've worked with them several times since, but like right. that was the first time we really did. And so I was I was eager to please the whole time.
0: Any abandoned games where you guys were in development and just stopped halfway for, it again, whatever reason?
2: We had a lot of those, too. Oh,
0: Um, really? So what happens in that situation? Like, I'm sure you you guys get paid up to that point, but, like, you're still in limbo. Can you use that IP later? Like, how does that all happen?
2: More often than not, we can't because we're usually hired. We're more like a work-for-hire type studio. We do a lot of our own stuff. We license our own stuff, but we're majority work-for-hire. So we're, like, hired guns that come in with a certain kind of expertise. And so, like in the early days of like game boy color going back then we worked with everybody and one of the companies we worked with was capcom mm. and capcom their legal department making sure they had the rights to do everything they needed to do was often the slowest part mm. and production would just start and then we'd find out partway through production that oh well they can't do that game or they can't do or for various reasons or a license for the music or the visuals um can't be secured or whatever oh, so okay. that's usually what would kill a lot of the games that we would work on for instance like we were doing gunslinger for game boy color we have a version of gunslinger i have right. a rom somewhere around here okay that um it's a it's the first few levels of gunslinger and you, it's playable and everything like mm-hmm. that but that one got shelved and um there were games like we were working on uh a kid a, a quidditch game for harry potter oh and it was like okay. a full-on sports sim quidditch and um the company that we we're doing that for ended up losing the license to development. So then we're like, do we reskin it as something else? Well, it's obviously Quidditch. Can we make it like rockets? Or and then we just kind of gave up because we're like, ah, it's going to look like what it was. And to redirect it would cost too much money. Um, so things like that. That, sure. that would often happen. And then there were times when um, uh, basically like uh, an IP holder would not like the direction of a game, even though they signed off on it, they'd change their minds essentially. We were doing like a Lizzie McGuire game one time oh, okay. um, for Disney. <laughs> and we we're like, okay, we'll do it where it's like a pet sim. So she got a cat and you're doing all this stuff. And it's just like a, uh, a PDA functionality. And it was, you know, for young girls. Sure. And Disney's like, why can't you just make this a platform game? Like we were three, <laughs> oh, it was four weeks away from shipping.
1: Oh my goodness. And they're like,
2: we don't want this one, a platform game because I don't think, you know, we don't think people are going to want to do this. And we're like, well, that's, great we agree right. we pitched that but then you decided not to and you told us to do this so it's <laughs> this moment where it's like what do we do now so we crunched wow. for like three weeks and did a full-on platform game for lizzie mcguire i remember i was on a laptop driving down to e3
0: okay just
2: days after they said they wanted this and i was just doing level design on a <laughs> laptop while my my <laughs> well chris charla who was our producer okay um was driving and so, so they're making levels by the time we got to e3 we had like five levels done and we're just like doing anything we could to get this game done we would work sure. out of libraries because like we had to get away from the office because people were too distracting even in the office it's like, Right, like let's go to a library and work and stuff. us so it's <laughs> that's usually what happened
0: wow that's crazy stuff man wow <laughs> okay I, I know this is hard because you've again put so much work out there do you have like a memorable or a mount rushmore of moments in the video game industry
2: Oh, wow. Um, You know, I never really... There's a lot of great moments for me in in games. Like, I was really proud of um, Death Junior, which came out on the PSP and Death Junior 2. Uh, Those were original games. We were the first company to get psp development hardware oh, wow. and all stuff so it was it was amazing to go through that whole experience and be part of a launch for that that was super great we created comic books worked with so many great people like right. uh, gary widow who went on to do like rogue one and mm. uh, the book of eli and all stuff he was the writer yeah. on our comic book ted nafey who's this really accomplished comic artist at the time was doing our comic book for that we did merchandising we did like gentle giant toys we did all this stuff and it was all homegrown there was no we didn't work with like an agency or we just like figured out as we went and i was really proud of that moment because it it sold really well for us right and it was a it was it was a a big thing for us for that time um but then there's been several things like disney's tarzan for game boy color i'm really proud of because that was a game that um the quality turned out great it was a really good game It sold extremely well It outsold the n64 and ps or playstation games combined uh, for game boy color so it was like that's awesome. It was just a fun game to work on, right? Uh, and th- again, that was a thing where we worked with like Disney animators, kind of like what they did with Aladdin and Lion King, and we just built this whole thing the same kind of way that the Genesis games were built. So that was right. that was super cool. Um, but yeah, since then, a whole, whole bunch of moments like that, where it was just right place, right time, mm-hmm. getting crazy opportunities, because we've done R and D work, we've <clears throat> done crazy things with like film and television, and all kinds of stuff, just kind of came together over all these years. That it's just I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Yeah, because that's the other thing. You've done TV, you've done movies. Like in a perfect world, would you give up video games if you could transition into just movies and TV?
2: Oh, I don't know. Like, getting a taste of all. Like, I would like to continue do what I continue doing what I do, where I get to do all of it.
0: Okay. Because
2: um, it's hard. Movies are hard. I I I just recently worked on. this movie called free guys with Ryan Reynolds is coming out. It's about an NPC who suddenly realizes he's in a video game. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. Hilarious. Yes. It's amazing. I think you'll like it a lot. Okay. And perfect. I kind of came in, I was sort of like those guys that were the dinosaur consultants on Jurassic park. I <laughs> came in as a video game consultant and um, you know, early on in that script, there's all these things that like um, the director, the screenwriter, everybody, they were incredible and they knew that what they wanted was it to be genuine and feel authentic. So right. they brought me in to kind of come in and, rework a lot of stuff with them or tell them where things were kinda of broken or whatever. And that led to okay. doing a lot of production design, consulting and oh. all this really cool stuff. And that was right. just so amazing. But then seeing all the work they were doing, mm-hmm. it it really made it drove the point home that like I could
0: probably never do that. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it
2: was so hard. I thought we crunched in the game industry. They crunch really hard and they're so talented. Like I love the writing part. I could I could see myself doing screenwriting, but the production design work and all these things like ethan tobin who was working on that movie and everything were just amazing people that i just like i could never imagine getting up to their speed it was it was just crazy
0: oh my god that's awesome okay so obviously like i mentioned you're the studio head well first off what is the studio head and what does the studio head do
2: <laughs> i am kind of like the it, it so a studio head in in context of us is essentially right. the 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 keeper of the strategic vision for the studios. Okay. So I'm more or less um I I, I'm like I'm like a CEO on the creative side.
0: Oh, okay. So I get
2: to say, here's what we should be working on. Here's where I think we have our best our our talent is best doing these things. Mm -hmm. And I work a lot with business development and um the development teams. But I also tend to like get my hands dirty. So I like to do a lot of coding like that space jam game that's coming out i did a couple of the bosses for that game there you go um i like to do art and animation and also so i I try Mm. to get keep one finger in the pie basically (laughs) as we're going through because it makes me feel sane sure um so like all that that's kind of what a studio head does is more or less the keeper of the creative and strategic vision for the studio and make a lot of decisions on where resources go and all that kind of stuff based off of like what people are you know good at and all that sort of
0: thing okay now i gotta know too because i tried doing research yes people i actually do research for the podcast every once in a while and <laughs> believe it or not yes exactly but the whole story about digital eclipse other ocean it's so convoluted so confusing it branches off here it goes over there can you just sum this up and wrap it up in a nice little bowl for people who want to know like the origins of the, the whole studio
2: yeah, it's funny because our history is kind of like if anybody's watching Loki right now, it's like it's like <laughs> the course. next level event that that splinters the timelines in every direction. Right, <laughs> definitely like that because we started way back in like '92 as a Mac productivity software company. Okay, that suddenly got the amazing vision to try to produce an emulator that could emulate arcade games. This is before Mame and everything, so it was like it was genuinely a really cool idea at the time the unprecedented and so our first three games were just defender and robotron Mm -hmm. uh that were developed basically on spec and then we went to chicago to show midway and said to to license the games because we're like we can put these on mac and midway thought they were amazing and so uh we ended up getting the licenses for those games as well as many others and producing those and then they did so well that midway wanted to continue that That production on their side, and so we ended up doing um, a strategic uh, deal with them to produce classic arcade games for all consoles, basically. And that became the birth of Digital Eclipse as we know it today, because we quickly moved out of productivity software and focused on arcade conversions for home consoles. Right. And when you think about it, at the time that was like '92. That wasn't that far away from those games being. In the arcade, so That's like within true. ten years, yeah. so they weren't that old, really, right? Yeah, so it was kind of a miracle for people to be able to play arcade games on on a Mac, particularly a Mac, of course. So now put them on PlayStation, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and it started to take off. So right. that was an explosive launch of the company, and not too long after that was the the Game Boy Black and White before Color came out, mm-hmm. Market was still going strong, but nobody was making games anymore. The only company that was still producing games was THQ, and they were crushing it. They are making so much money on Game Boy games that Midway, who were working for it, was like, can you do the same thing you do with the arcade games? Can you put those on... Game Boy Color, and we're like, yeah, right. we could definitely put like Joust Defender and Robotron and all stuff in here. We're like, no, how about like the new games like Blitz <laughs> and World <Mortal> Combat <laughs> 4? And we're like, ah, that's gonna be a lot harder, but we'll right. try, right? And uh, I don't recommend anybody look at those games, they sold extremely well, but they weren't good. Oh, but we, okay. we were getting our feet wet on those because like we didn't yeah. really know how to take something that high end and bring it to Game Boy yet, right? And so we we give it our best, but they did well. And um, that kind of opened the door for more and more games like this. So we did we did the classics eventually, and all that stuff that made more sense. But right. then we started to do a lot more larger port downports of games because we started to figure that out. And right, right. We were because we were only there's was THQ, and then there was us really making Game Boy games. Right when we were in the middle of production of those games, they announced Game Boy Color, mm. and so then it was a just mad dash of publishers trying to get find any developers that <laughs> could do Game Boy games, and sure. that's really. We're so lucky because we were doing this stuff at the time. It was like, can you make this work on Game Boy Color? And we're like, of course. And then the phone just kept ringing off the hook because people found out we were making Game Boy games and we could do Game Boy Color games. And that was just an unending amount. Talk about turning things down, that was a weird time because we were getting one call a week at, at, at least for um. opportunities to produce games for Game Boy Color. And we just had to turn a lot of it down because we just didn't have enough right. people to do it.
0: That's crazy, and now obviously what it is today, and what you guys continue doing—so you know, many games in development. What's uh, like the Blizzard Collection or the Arcade Collection? That's in development, coming out soon, correct? That one's out.
2: So that one's oh. actually out there. If anyone wants to go. So check already out Oh, oh okay, okay. And we did something really cool with that. We um, we created we basically remastered those games. You have the originals in there. We have the, we have the Genesis and Super Nintendo games. Oh.
0: Okay. But then
2: we did what we call the definitive version. We added features to the game, so we actually right. have like. Rock and Roll Racing is sixteen nine aspect ratio. We licensed the real songs, we, except for one of them, Par, Paranoid. We couldn't get because okay. uh, Ozzy Osbourne doesn't want to license his music anymore. Ah. Um, but like we got everything else. So it's the real songs that are in there. You can turn them on and off. We got Larry Huffman, who was the voice of the game. Right. Um. He's he's up there in his years, but he still has it. And like he came <laughs> in and re-recorded everything in HD. Ooh, it was great. That's awesome. So we, and we got a bunch of new lines. We actually were able to fix up things like we had gender. The original game had gender off references. So there's like a There's a woman racer who kept getting referred to as him and all that kind of stuff. So we're able to do gender-specific line recordings and and all this kind of cool stuff. So we we did some neat things, a lot of graphical upgrades, and then we added what was like something that we didn't promise at the beginning, but figured out when we're doing all stuff. Is we added a four-player mode as well, so you can play four players split-screen rock and roll racing. So that kind of stuff we love to do. That's we live for it, where we can take like a classic game, give the original to you, but also then modernize it and and get people to appreciate it all over again.
0: See, I think that's the perfect formula, to tell you the truth. Like, I love, like, obviously all the Resident Evil remakes and everything that's coming out and whatever, right? But why don't you add, like, some sort of original, and then you add, like, the new one. Else. Like, you know, so you please everyone's appetite.
2: Exactly, because there's a lot of people who are so nostalgic for the old original. And the, right. they do make a lot... Like, when we make changes on a remaster or, like, a reimagining, we're not always making the right choices for some people. Because, of like, course. you have to take... You have to decide what the most what most people will want, but there's going to be some people who are just like, I really love this thing that I wish you guys didn't change or whatever. So right. the originals let us fall back on that and let people have the original who still want to scratch that itch as well.
0: See, and that's what I love. I hate the people who complain. They're like, Oh, why'd you put an easy mode in? Then why are you playing on yeah. easy? Just put it to the mode you want. Don't you want a, yeah. a variety of everything?
2: <laughs> you have the choice. Why right? take choice away from other people?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. I never understood that. <laughs> How about this? How about VR games? Are you guys ever going to venture into that realm?
2: We've done a a little bit there. So we did something called Giant Cop, which was uh, an early VR game. Again, that one did really well for us too. You play the role of a giant, like, kaiju-sized cop trying to um, take care of crime in the city below you. (laughs) So (laughs) you try not to step on people and try to, like, stop criminals robbing banks and all that stuff. Um, We did that. We did a few other things that were kind of VR experiences. We did stuff with Alt Space. Uh, which is now part of Microsoft. So, we, we've dabbled with it, and we've always been kind of cautious. We're we're really risk averse, and VR has always been that kind of really risky space for us. There's always a lot yeah. of money being thrown around, but at the same time, we're like, do we divert our resources to do VR, or do we focus on things that we really enjoy doing right now that like we know will make money back? And so, right, we're eager. We're so eager to get into VR because the Quest has been kind of a. Uh, it, it's what VR should have been from the get go, and so mm. now we're we're looking at that very uh, aggressively right now is like what kind of opportunities can we what kind of games can we produce that that would be really exciting there we have to do something um that, that's kind of different like we worked on the rick and morty vr experience for ps uh ps4 or ps3 okay. ps4 so we, we did that one and um and we actually got nominated for an emmy for that and everything Ooh, so nice again we're television and film and everything merges with video games it's all those cross points keep coming up but it was really, it was really cool. So we want to pursue that a bit more.
0: So you're a believer in VR, Dan. You don't think it's just this generation's? Oh, I've bad? always okay. believed in
2: VR. That was the thing. It's like it was okay, always that okay. thing about, like, how do I make the business case? How do I make the business case? Like, <laughs> I think we're finally at the point where the business case makes sense.
0: Oh, so do you think there's? Okay, what do you think the next evolution is if you would have to guess after VR?
2: So I mean, I really believe in mixed reality. Um, oh. I think there's a lot more where it's like. I am craving that time where we can go running around in a field and play basically halo in a real field. Um, but with VR, like overlay and all that, I love that kind of stuff. So
0: okay, okay. that
2: gets you physically moving around, but you're not constrained to like a, a treadmill or anything like that. And That's true. I, I, I love those parts. And I really like the idea of doing like, um, we like, like mystery train type stuff or, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of stuff with mixed reality. There's some cool stuff that I, I think it's, I don't know if I'm under NDA for or not, but oh. ah, I've seen cool stuff that like, <laughs> really makes me want to uh, explore that a lot more because there's in cases where I remember I had this one demo where it was like an out of body experience demo where Ooh, they cool. handed me a controller and the room I was in was being captured real time in 3D. Okay, And then when you move forward on the controller, like move forward. So I move forward. And they're like, turn around, turn around. And there was me standing there. Oh my I God. saw me in 3D. And so I was able to walk around myself. And it was like so mind-blowing
0: okay that's and i'm cool. like
2: okay this is cool stuff yeah what kind of experience are we gonna have like this that that's gonna like take us to the next level
0: see that's almost like star trek holodeck type shit man
2: <laughs> absolutely absolutely it was like so mind-blowing and so that i, I think that's coming soon like there's consumer level stuff that's gonna oh, give man. us that soon and i can't wait for it
0: oh i can't because in my mind again i'm i'm feeble-minded but mind you it's I was thinking like an avatar type thing where you plug into something and then you go off as something else, like you know what I mean, or as a robot or whatever. But this this is even better because like you said, you get up, you exercise, like you know what I mean? You, you don't have to so called put down that controller and walk away and do exercise and then come back and play again, right?
2: Yeah, I, I'm looking for that. Like I wanna have those Goonie experiences with oh, my friends in the thank real
0: you. world
2: and like give me that stuff where I'm we're having real adventures, we're climbing things, we're doing stuff, but we have it augmented with like goals and all that kind of stuff too.
0: So now you hit the magic name, Goonies. This is my favorite movie of all time. I love <laughs> yes, this movie. I've watched it so many times. I try and watch at least once a year. I just love it. Again, but I, I don't know if it's nostalgic uh, sewn into it because I've tried to get other people who watch it as an adult now who never watched it as a kid and they're like, yeah, it's okay. And I feel like slapping them so hard when someone says that. Oh,
2: yeah. See, we grew up like as the, de- the decade that that hit was the perfect decade for us because we're all riding dirt bikes. We're all outside going on adventures of on our own. And then it suddenly told us, like, these things you're doing every day could end up being, like, the adventure of your lifetime, right? And so the promise of Goonies was just amazing. And that's where, like, my daughter, she's 11, loves Goonies. Awesome. So she's the the outlier. Okay. Uh, but I I hear you because there's been so many, like, my older son, I tried to introduce him to Goonies. He could care less. <laughs> so it's right?
0: Like, Ugh.
2: They're growing up in a world where adventure is just served to them through games uh, very effectively. So Goonies yeah. has less of an impact. But if, if we're talking about like a mixed reality experience, we could deliver that like sense of adventure in the real world that I think Goonies promised us when we saw that movie. Because after you saw Goonies, you walk out of the theater <laughs> going like, let's go find a pirate ship. <laughs> let's go through caves. Let's go spelunking. Let's do everything. It's it, like you wanted to do that stuff.
0: Exactly. And that's why for like our generation, escape rooms are friggin' fantastic.
2: Yes, absolutely. Escape rooms are the closest we have to that. Now, imagine a escape room with mixed
0: reality. Exactly. You just blew my mind there. How about movie remakes? Would you ever want to do movie remakes in the future?
2: Oh, the the one I actually—it was funny. There was a at one point um, I had a brief conversation. Believe it or not, it sounds like I'm just name dropping, but believe it or not, this Go is funny it. because it's like I was uh, hanging out with Jimmy Fallon, and we—I introduced him to Airwolf. He had never of airwolf what and so okay i and i had all the airwolf episodes on dvd and earth like that and like, right we were joking around of what a, what an airwolf remake would be if it were a movie now because if you distill what airwolf is it's like <laughs> here's this this uh you know vet who drives this like crazy military create like a, a this helicopter that can go upside down and all this other stuff and it has right. like turbo and all these cool things that can only be destroyed by a bullet going into the gun in the front because otherwise it's impervious <laughs> to any sort of damage. And they keep it a dormant volcano somewhere in LA. Right. And he works with like Ernest Borgnine as his co-pilot, which is like mind blowing. Santini Air is where he works for. And he oh. goes on missions for this guy named Archangel who wears like a white suit and has an eye patch. It's like the <laughs> coolest thing ever. And then all that aside, Love it. it's got the greatest theme song ever made for television that That's just true sticks in your head. It's an earworm that will last for like 40 years. Right. So to me, I'm like, Airwolf is one of those things where if I don't make a game based off of it, I want to make a movie based off of it.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> That's so cool. How about this year's E3? Did you, is you a fan of it, weren't you? Did, or is there anything you would like that you want to play upcoming?
2: Well, on one hand, like I love going to E3, and it was so sad that we couldn't go to E3 yet wow. um, because E3 is such an experience. The first time I we went to E3 it was like going to Willy Wonka's, and it was just so oh. over the top, so crazy, incredible. Right. And it's waned over the years, but like still the desire to kind of meet with a whole bunch of people I know from all around the world of and talk course. about video games and look at new video games i wish that would have happened but that said they did a, a pretty remarkable job with what they had and i, I was on so. one of the panels where we're talking about indie games and it was really fun um being able to like talk to other people about all this stuff and, and feel kind of like you're at e3 uh the games that were coming out of e3 i'm uh, i'm such a sucker i love halo so much that like okay halo infinite to me is something i'm looking forward to so much and um the promise of what it is, is is what I'm really looking forward to because I still I play Master Chief Collection all the time. Mm-hmm. I play every, anything anything Halo. I just play and finish every single time. So I'm I'm such a geek about it. So that one had me really excited. But also I got really excited for um the uh, was it the Pirates Life Sea of Thieves okay, expansion yeah. that just came out.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah. Um, because that's something my daughter and I kind of get to experience together. She loves uh-huh, Sea of Thieves, go. and so right. that game is such a chill, fun game to play. And, uh, and then adding like Pirates of the Caribbean to it, uh, it was just awesome. Right. So that was exciting. And Forza looks amazing. I'm just listing out a lot of like Microsoft stuff, but like <laughs> Forza looks so, so good. Um, I can't wait for that. And there was a whole bunch of like smaller games. There's, I can't even remember the name of it. I think mm-hmm. it was, it started with an R, but it was like this really cool Neo Noir side scroller that was kind of reminiscent of like flashback with a lot of shooting oh, that okay. looked really cool. Um, yeah. and then the Nintendo oh. stuff looked great. Uh, so i 'm just i'm, a, I'm just so easily pleased, I think because like video games still excite me. I see things and I was like i 'm less likely to to be the snarky voice you see everybody be on Twitter I'm right. more likely to just like everything that somebody shows me because it 's just like I still just get excited when I see something new
0: it 's so true i 'm the exact same way like I had Steve Tilly on last week 's episode, and we ran down e three our favorites and also favorites, <laughs> and yeah, I was like. This is what I needed Like you know I I know it's different It's not the same But missing out on last year And then the year before Wasn't as people say Wasn't really the best Because that's when Sony Wasn't there and everything So it doesn't feel the same Right But this Like I mentioned on the show too My favorite E3 I forget the year You'll probably know Was when Fallout 3 was shown For the first time And there were so many Other stuff that To me That year stands out As my favorite year Of all time
2: yeah, that was a great year because there was so much being announced then and it reminded me of uh, 1994 as well because 1994 had the largest number of, I think, active consoles. It was like oh. CDI, Neo Geo CD, PlayStation, right. 3DO. Like, there was just so many games and a lot of those games looked really cool. And it was that, that like, Fallout 3 was such a like, pivotal moment for like that kind of, oh, there is cool new things coming. It's like, it exactly. been for so long. Yes. And so there's all these new titles and all these new... It's just like a big bump and that's what it yep. was... Thought a next generation should bring. And that's why, like, PS5 and, like, the Xbox Series X felt really odd to me because there wasn't a lot of new games. It was like, hey, a lot of these older games are going to look better and, like, all stuff. It felt like it was just too early. Right. But, yeah, like, there's been moments like that uh, over the years where you suddenly realize, okay, here's the wave that I've been waiting for.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, before we get to the word story of the week. What are you playing now? Like, what's on the agenda? What has what's in your consoles?
2: Well, Sea of Thieves, definitely Sea of Thieves, right now. Okay. Um, maybe because it's like a family kind of thing. We get together and play that. And then when the kids go to bed, I just downloaded the latest Resident Evil, um, the Village, right? Oh, so I, yeah. I downloaded that. And okay, I'm, I'm excited to get into that. I've always loved Resident Evil games. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, but it's usually like let the kids go <laughs> to sleep. And then I'll play it, sure, fall asleep playing it or whatever. Uh, but the beauty is like Resident Evil games, kind of like. They're they're constructed in such a way that it's it's hard for me to fall asleep playing it because it's just you get so into it. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. That's that's the one that's kinda queued up right now.
0: How about your TV preferences? Obviously Loki like everyone else.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I you know what I Loki is fantastic. The production design in Loki is blowing my mind because I love that aesthetic. Like the brutalistic building designs plus the like early 70s interior design, like 50s to 70s kind of like mishmash mm-hmm. and stuff. is just so awesome to me. The color palette, yep. that's all really cool. But I just started getting into Wellington Paranormal, which was Ooh. the offshoot of What's this? Um, what, what we do in the shadows. So they took Never a couple of the it. police characters from what we do in the shadows. Okay. And they created a whole other series where it's Wellington police going around dealing with supernatural um, disturbances. Oh, wow. And it's hilarious. I'm like three episodes in now. Incredible. Right. It's produced by Taika Waititi and um, uh, the guy from uh, *Flight of the Conchords*, Jermaine. Um, so, like that one, right. I'm, I'm just super excited to keep watching as well right now.
0: Oh, that's cool. Okay, how about this? Are you a Marvel or a DC guy?
2: I'm Marvel. Okay. Believe it or not, me too. I, I Don't want worry. to be. I grew up more DC for really? half my life. Okay. And then, well, not half my when I was really young, I was really into DC uh-huh. and then, um, Alpha Flight and X-Men got into my life. And that just like moved me right into Marvel without even like, I mean, it was just such such a harsh jump. Right. And from there it was like Micronauts and like all, I, I went oh, wow. through Con- Conan, I love Conan. I would collect every Conan issue and it's like so that was like, right. that's where I kind of went. And so when DC kind of came back with like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, I was it was really cool with those, if those were great, but then right. everything else kind of felt like a little bit of a misstep, and right. Marvel is just, like, nailing it one after the other after the other, and it's just kind of on a great run right now.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I kind of, like, I mentioned it last week again with Steve, and I'm already on the same level as Loki almost being as good or even better than WandaVision, and that's just crazy.
2: I know. It's it's nuts, and I, and I didn't expect that at all. And this It's one of these things where it's, like, the quality, and it's not by... A repeat formula either they're not following formula thank you they just keep they keep breaking the mold and then yep. hitting it out of the park every yep. single time which is just un- like you just don't see that it's unprecedented right now and I, I don't know if i mean i'm sure they're gonna have some missteps but of course right now whatever they're doing to <laughs> encourage that they just have to keep doing it
0: Yep, i love it as well so right ready for the worst story of the week yes let's hear it okay well oddly enough this week's story of the week comes from your twitter feed <laughs> and if people don't oh follow my. mike you, i'm sure i'm gonna let you plug your shit soon enough but <laughs> you put out some amazing friggin' tweets i don't know how you find all these old school pics of toys gadgets where do you get all this stuff man
2: oh my god like i'm in so many different facebook groups of okay. people who troll for really ridiculous things and okay like, okay i see the stuff coming up and there's choice ones that come up where i'm like oh this is incredible and like I, I will often, like, do random Google image searches to, uh, like, find old toys or whatever, and the right. results from there are also another source. Like, I'll look up, like, I don't know, like, old Snoopy turtleneck, and then I'll get some weird shit that just comes up after that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and then I'll use that and post that stuff up. So, like, I do – I've had friends who are, like, who've watched me, like, search for things, and they right. I, I'm an odd search person because – Okay, okay. I find the darkest places of the internet.
0: (laughs) Sure, hey. It's pretty fun. Okay, so um, the one I'm going to speak of this week in particular is the Pooper Silencer. What (laughs) the hell? Like, uh, did you go... Did you try and find out some info on this? Like, who created it and all that stuff? I
2: was... I, I didn't go that far because okay. I, I found that by searching for something because I was complaining to my son who just wouldn't stop farting. <laughs> I'm like, I need to find something that can just, like, when I'm on calls, I don't need to explain that it's my son over here, like, blasting him out. So that's how that came up. Okay. And there's <laughs> and then I and when you see that, you just start thinking, like, what is the context for this thing? Because it looks like one of those, like, kind of – a balloon on a trombone kind of thing you're
0: like exactly what,
2: what, in what scenario do you bust that out amongst like you know you know a dinner party or whatever like don't mind me i you know, just like had too much of the whatever and right I just got to insert this right now
0: <laughs> yeah no kidding okay so f- to put it all into context because obviously this is not a video podcast <laughs> So it's in a wooden box, like like Mike said. It has, like, a balloon figure at the end and almost, yeah, like a trombone thing where you... That's where you insert in your anus, I would assume. So it's sort of like a butt plug without the big thing at the end if i To paint a picture, you know what I mean? So in the box comes directions and says, insert in rectum, gas will go into rubber bag... Without noise or odor. Caution! Remove only well in well ventilated places or room.
2: What the? So you, you should finish your conversation before you leave the room to you know, basically dispel it.
0: And I just love everything about it and even the little smudge of shit on the tape that's holding it down. <laughs> what the? has been used
2: it's like you're, you're like on ebay going like oh it's used a few times that's fine i'll
0: take it oh man this I is awesome it. this is like the most weirdest thing that i've ever seen on the internet <laughs> thank you so much <laughs>
2: it's, it's become the thing i think a lot of people really follow me for is like this kind of stuff <laughs> and
0: i live for it <laughs> well speaking of following plug your shit go ahead platforms all yours or upcoming projects you want to promote go for it
2: oh sure um We'll definitely check out uh, www.otherocean.com or www.digitalclips.com. We have a lot of projects in the works. We make a lot of announcements. Follow Digital Clips at Digital Clips on Twitter as well as at Other Ocean. And if you want to follow me, I'm really active on Twitter and I, I share really stupid stuff like we just talked about. <laughs> and that's uh, at Mike J. Micah. On Twitter, and uh, I usually do post a lot about game development and in-progress builds of things. Anything that I can talk about, I usually try to share online, and I'm, I'm a pretty open book, so if people have questions about anything we're doing or any of this stuff, feel free to just tweet at me and We'll have a good conversation on a public
0: forum. There you go. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finga Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at podcast by gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it does most... dirt blah, 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 blah. Let's rewind. It most definitely helps me out. See, that's... This is why I don't... Because if I read my my stuff, that's where I flip over it. Like, you know what I mean? So people always ask me, here's the thing. Okay, for all these people, because I get these emails every so often. So this is one of the most frequently asked questions. They say, oddly enough, why don't you just put a pre recorded for all your sponsors at the beginning and at the end? And then I'm like, what's the point of that? Like, I want to make it organic because what if the person who's on wants to know about the sponsors or it could be a talking point of some sort like you know what i mean so, also there's a, an, an energy
2: disconnect because like thank you have, like oh you're high energy in this thing and then suddenly it's like this droning kind of whatever and it doesn't help the sponsor or
0: anything. exactly that. exactly and it's like that it shows that i actually care about the sponsors <laughs> exactly <laughs> so do all that fun stuff and most importantly please rate subscribe review one last question before i let you go my friend I've noticed on Twitter too. You're creating a game called Fear. What? What did it? Where yes. did all this come from? And are you creating this on your own or is this a side project? What's going on? This
2: it's a side project that I I I love just making games. When I'm not making games, I'm making games because it's just <laughs> such okay. a relaxing thing for me. It's really bizarre, right? But um, I was just uh, like I had, I created a game. One of my other really proud moments was a game called Idar. Uh, That I made like five years ago, which was I created it with everybody on Twitter. I know we didn't even. So I started working on this new game, yeah. And I was just looking for something to do, and uh, a few people mentioned some different game ideas, and one of them was like Zookeeper, which is one of my old favorite games. Okay. And I also one of my old favorite games is Reactor, but there's nothing new or modern with those two things. So I just merged the two ideas together just to see what would happen. Sure. I just started producing it, and like in a matter of like uh, like a week, we had it up and playable, and I was sharing it with people and stuff. So right now it's. I think I'm getting close to finishing it up and I'm just planning on uh, putting it out there some way. But okay. one of the things that kind of came out of this was I got a lot of publisher requests. Um, mm-hmm. People asking what my publishing plan is. And it's like, oh. it's great to get that. But like, right. I I run a studio and I publish games. So maybe <laughs> I'll just end up publishing it through like digital clips or something like sure, that. But of course. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I want to just get it out there Um, I did it originally because I wanted to put it like on itch.io or something. So I could just Mm -hmm. make a little bit of like side cash to fund like my kids, uh, private school Mm -hmm. costs and everything like that. But now it's like, okay, now it's a real game. And I guess I have to like figure out how to publish
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. On that note, he's Mike. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.